This is a story about a pregnancy that doesn't end the way it should. About what happens when your baby is born too early to survive alone. It's about the parents, the babies, and the doctors who save them. It's about what happens when your life doesn't turn out quite the way you expected, and the untold story of what happens next. There's something so important in the storytelling aspect of it. I mean, when you're pregnant, you spend so long thinking about the story of your blooming pregnancy, uh-huh, <laughs> and that then you will have at the end of it a baby and you'll be made a mother. And of course, for lots of people, that doesn't quite happen like that. So when you do have a baby in the neonatal unit, you're not sure, you're sort of in limbo about what will happen and whether that baby will really come home with you and grow up to be whoever they want to be. During the 56 days that my premature twins were in hospital, I wrote a diary. That diary became a book, Mothership, and the rest was all you, really. The incredible messages I got from readers is the reason why I'm making this podcast. And so, this is my invitation. Whether or not you are a parent, whether or not your baby was born at full term or at 24 weeks or a few weeks early on the bathroom floor at the office, whether or not you have children or ever want them, consider this your mothership. Each episode, I'll talk to friends and medics, parents and professionals. I want to keep it cosy, honest, true. Mothership is about stories that start before the beginning. I'm Francesca Siegel. Welcome to Mothership. Near the beginning, you heard Vicky when I called to tell her I was making this podcast. She's the first person I call about most things and one of the life-changing group of women I met when my babies were in hospital. You'll hear from many of my fellow NICU mothers on coming episodes. And I remember when we were in hospital longing for someone to say to us, once upon a time, my baby was born early and now look, she lives happily and independently, but not too far away. We're not going through all of this just for our kids to bugger off to Australia or somewhere like that. And she can breathe and think and talk and write and love. She has thrived and I have healed. We wanted that story over and over again, in every iteration we could find it. And so when a beloved public figure comes forward and speaks honestly about having lived through that reality, it's just incredibly important. So enough from me. Here today is one version of that story. Everybody kept telling me I looked great. I knew I didn't. When I got there, her mother-in-law looked at me and said, oh my God, you look terrible. I think you're not very well. And I wanted to hug her, actually, because she was the first person who'd really said anything. This is Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Sophie barely needs an introduction. You'll know her as an incredible singer-songwriter, but she's also the mother to five boys. And she's had not one, but two premature deliveries. Her first child, Sonny, and her second son, Kit. In the years that followed... In between an almost mind-boggling list of professional achievements, Sophie and her husband Richard have gone on to have three more boys, Ray, Jesse and Mickey, all of whom were born at full term. But her introduction to motherhood was not straightforward, and Sonny and Kit each spent more than a month in NICU. So what was happening in your life when you gave birth for the first time? Um, so it was quite dramatic all around, really. Um, Richard, my husband, uh, and I hadn't been going out very long when we found out we were having a baby. Um, approximately six weeks, I think, when we found out we were having a baby. So 
having Sunny early as well, which is just um, two weeks after our 25th birthday. I say our because Richard and I are only four days apart. Um, and uh, so actually by the time Sunny was born, we'd only been going out for eight months. So sort of barely chronologically possible to have a baby in that time, really. Um, but actually, because I think everything had been so dramatic the whole way through of us getting together and um, finding having a baby and all these things, in a way, having Sunny early felt like... Well, of course, why wouldn't there be that drama as well? Um, and I think for me, I was a little bit more, well, quite a lot more probably um, familiar with it all because my sister had been born premature when I was 11. She was born 10 weeks early. So I remember seeing a happy ending come out of that, you know, quite a sort of, uh, sort of serious medical start. But um, I think for Richard, he was very much just taking it all in one sort of doctor conversation at a time. Do you remember, like, can you think your way back to, like, those first 24 hours? Well, there was a lot of shock just that whole week, really, because um, I'd been having what I thought was a fairly routine pregnancy. Um, I just thought I wasn't maybe very good at being pregnant because I wasn't feeling very well and very sort of sprightly the last couple of months, which I now found out you know, subsequently as really classic symptoms of having preeclampsia, which is what caused my first baby to be born early. At the time, I just thought maybe I just wasn't one of those women that, yeah. you know, glowed or whatever it is you're supposed to do. I felt headachey, I felt antisocial, I felt like I just wanted to sort of screw myself away, really. Um, I'd had big swelling with my feet, like they'd gone up at least a shoe size, my hands, my face. Everybody kept telling me I looked great. I knew I didn't, I knew it. And about a week before I was diagnosed, I went to um, christening for um, my friend's baby. And I remember then thinking, I don't want to go out, I don't want to see anyone. And when I got there, her mother-in-law looked at me and said, oh my God, you look terrible. I think you're not very well. And I wanted to hug her, actually, because she was the first person who'd really mm. said anything. Yeah. And then about a week after that, I went for a routine checkup. My blood pressure was sky high. They said, come back in on Monday. You don't need to have an appointment. Just rush in and we'll just check you out and we'll put you on these medication, these pills over the weekend. So I did that, went on the Monday. And they said, you're not leaving. You're not going home. And I was in shock because Richard was still outside parking the car. I had nothing with me, no handbag, no, yeah. not even some lip balm, like literally nothing. So when Sonny was born, which was later that week, I think I was still a bit um, dumbfounded, really, that I was actually having the baby. We hadn't done our NCT classes. We hadn't done any. I didn't even own some socks for him. I didn't have anything. I just thought, this can't be happening. The second time round with Kit was worse, sort of like much more traumatic for both of us all round, I think. I think, uh, firstly, the fact it was happening again, we had that weird, sort of not very logical, fatalistic thing of we've been lucky once, we probably won't be lucky again. Mm-hmm. Like, we've... We sort of had one baby unscathed by it, but maybe this time it's going to be worse. Um, and a really significant factor was that Kit was very low birth weight. So he was born at 31 weeks, so he should have been £3.2, somewhere around there, but he was actually £2.6. He was really tiny. Um, and his first 10 days were pretty full on. He, he wasn't really tolerating his feeds, and after three days they realised that they'd missed a collapsed lung on the other side. He got put in artificial respiration for a week we couldn't take him out the box he was on morphine he got sepsis it was just like one thing after another the hospital got norovirus going around it so no one else was allowed to visit for the whole time he was there so it's just the two of us um it was just a lot a lot more intense and because we had sunny at home we weren't able to visit as frequently as we wanted to sometimes so so just the whole thing of it was hard and even when kit got dismissed from hospital when he got sent home um, discharged, say not dismissed. Um, he uh, he only weighed then, I think, three pounds ten when he came home. And I just remember pushing him around the buggy and thinking, I shouldn't have a baby this small. I'm not ready for it really. And he was always felt like he was always cold. 
and people were a bit more a bit more freaked out I think on our behalf really do you think you were more um assertive going into it the second time around do you think you sort of knew because you'd been through that experience before do you think you were different no I think I was more wobbly really yeah I think the first time we I've had that sort of quite um Ina Blyton-esque sort of it's Mm. all going to be fine I felt still quite sort of I mean a lot of it was overwhelming and quite serious and um you know it's not very nice to have a medicalized first initiation to parenthood but I still had more good than good days than bad. But I think the kit we just we were just worried about him. Mm. It just seemed like it was a bit more touch and go with what was going on with him. Really, were you writing while they were in hospital? No, I wasn't doing anything. I was in hospital except for visiting and then making milk. The the weirdest one actually was when I had this my second one kit. Um, I was actually I just made an album not long before he was born, and then I remember being in hospital and my manager sitting on my bed and saying, "We're going to make the video for this in ten weeks." So actually, looking back, that's absolute lunacy. But at the time, I was like, okay. So I filmed um, the video to a song called Heartbreak when when Kit was 10 weeks old. Uh, And my friend Ruth, who's been friends with me since we were 11, we went to school together, and she was on milk duty, so she'd come and get me every three to four hours. And all of the video filming process would have to be paused while I went and expressed some milk and then then back to singing with a little dance routine and everything. It's like, woohoo! I'm sure it's just what I felt like doing at the time. I was talking to um, some friends of mine who had had similar experiences and then I read that you had also had the experience of coming in and finding clothes on your baby oh, one yeah. day. I didn't, well, I didn't dress Sonny the first time. He just came in Can and he was Can you tell dressed. me a bit about that? Well, it sounds like something that's not really that big a deal, but I think when it's your baby, just these firsts are such... They're so exciting as well, as apart from anything else. And, yeah, so... I, well, I remember we come in to visit him one day and there's, like, different levels of care, aren't there? Um, there's a bit where there's sort of uh, one nurse per baby and then one nurse for sort of I think two to three babies and so on before they, they can come home and I think one day Sonny had just been moved he wasn't in the room he'd been in before so he'd obviously decided overnight that actually he was well enough to go to the next bit great but then you go in there and he was yeah fully dressed and I'd never seen him with clothes on and I just found, found it a bit weird like I didn't get to do that I didn't get to choose what he's wearing it's not a big deal but then at the time it feels pretty enormous because your whole world is that baby and all the bits that mean that he's a baby like all the other babies that's been born that you can you know have your time with and make those decisions for and it's it's fun isn't it and it's it's bonding so I felt I found that a bit strange I think it is a big deal actually I had exactly the same experience and I found it really really devastating quite startling yeah because they look so different yeah and also I don't know what you I don't know what Sunny was in but I came in and it was Celeste who was dressed first and she was in something that it sounds stupid, but I never would have picked it. <laughs> and it was quite alienating. And it, mm. it really... I felt like she'd sort of been... It was another woman's taste and another woman's yeah. sort of imprinted on my baby somehow. Yeah, I can understand that. And I suppose as well, it just... It's done in such a casual way, like it's not not a big deal. And all those things, they really are. I think you just want want to be spoken to, don't you, and communicated with about everything. Um but yeah, there's just so much going on all the time, I suppose, in the hospitals. I remember one time one of the um, nurses having a go at me because she didn't see me gel my hands, and I had. But then I picked him up and she was sort of telling me off. I was like, this is just so crazy. It's my baby. I'm not, I really have got no intention of doing anything that's going to harm him or put him in, in danger. And please stop telling me off. 
because I don't know it's just you're so afraid as well your nerves are quite jangled you're tired you're there's a sort of low level buzzing anxiety all the time because you don't know what twists and turns await you so I guess it's very it's probably quite easy for everybody to put a foot wrong really and it's just about trying to move on to like okay but how is everything today and you feel a bit daft for saying anything don't you I think it's also very hard because you feel quite vulnerable because you don't want to upset the people who are caring for the most precious thing in the world exactly and that can make it really hard to say Mm. actually you know I'm really sorry but I found that a bit hurtful or Mm. yeah similarly if someone does something thoughtful or small in the right direction it means a massive deal I remember when I'd had Sunny so I was still in my room recovering from the operation and my illness and um, one of the nurses brought me some Polaroids they'd taken of him so I could have that with me and I thought that was really lovely so things like that are really special and the people I don't know midwives nurses whatever the people you meet along the way that are kind or speak to you in the way that resonates you sort of cling to them like a rock don't you think okay you're a good person I will you, you always make me feel better because you need a bit of reassurance really was it a reparative experience having that third having a kind of so-called normal birth it was just really blissful I think Richard and I just loved the whole experience of it because it was like ah this is what it's like for some people you know just this beautiful chubby baby and also showed me what machines they are with the feeding oh my goodness I mean I've been trying to do that with pumps before that and like there's no comparison a newborn baby is such a clever design um so that kind of thing amazed me and um especially with the milk I think that's terrible pressure that's put on mothers in mm. intensive care ward you must produce milk for a baby that you've never nursed yeah that you're not even looking at let alone touching when you're attached to this horrible machine I know I know all of that but then I suppose the only thing about it that I took solace in is it, it felt like it was the only thing that I could do that doctors couldn't do so I sort of it gave me something to focus on a role mm. giving my baby my milk felt like this is a job that I can do that I I will focus on and mm. I'll keep delivering these little frozen bottles and try not to look at the copious amounts other mums seem to do where you feel like oh <laughs> like someone with like bottles and bottles in the fridge and like okay fine <laughs> that's not me do you think do you celebrate their due dates as well or did you nah I didn't actually it just was the story that didn't happen to me there was no alternate life that was never that was not what happened and actually I think it's in a way it's quite a good introduction to parenting because that that's basically what happens over and over again there's the sort of version of events you think you're steering towards and then what really happened. And sometimes the lines kind of add up, but sometimes they just way different directions. So I think it's quite, it's quite, you learn quite a lot of really important lessons that you're going to, going to inform the next couple of decades. That's absolutely right. Just, <laughs> just letting go of any sense of control. Can you remember the moment when you felt like this is, you know, I'm the mother, here's my child. I don't know if I have like a sort of specific moment for that. I mean, I know that, when I saw Sunny for the first time, I felt, I mean, loads of emotions rushing at once, but I think the overwhelming one was that I had all these expectations of having a baby, but really what I'd had was Sonny, just that person, and he just happened to be a baby when I met him. And I, that was my biggest thought, actually. Like, oh, well, you put so much emphasis on having a baby, but you haven't had a baby. You've had that person, mm-hmm. and here he is, and what does he need from me? And... I think you have so many ideas of what kind of mother you're going to be but actually I think overall and I say this you know five kids in I, I think um you realize that all those expe- motherhood is just it's reactive I think you react to what they need from you and 
I would say I'm a slightly different mother to all my kids because they mm. all need something slightly different from me. You know, they don't respond to the same things. They don't listen to the same stuff. It, different things resonate with them. Different things excite them. So I think, yeah, with Sunny, it was just that, really. So I don't know if that's the same as the moment I felt like a mother, but it was definitely the moment that, you know, this gap you didn't know was there before is suddenly just filled with this mm-hmm. enormous thing of having that person in your life and the excitement of just getting to know them from there. Like, oh, they're just a little car. In this country, 60,000 babies are born prematurely every year. Each one has a mother, perhaps feeling isolated, perhaps feeling powerless, perhaps feeling guilty or responsible or blaming her own body, as I know I was. But the thing is, these stories can be hard stories, and in parts they can be scary stories, and they are longer and more complex stories than woman gives vaginal birth to full-term baby, but the vast majority of prematurity stories have happy endings. Mine has two happy endings. My twins, Raffaella and Celeste, are four years old now and Bonnie and Cheeky and obsessed with dinosaurs. And all stories need and deserve to be told. That narrative we lost. As Sophie says, maybe it's right to let go of it now. That's just the story that didn't happen. I haven't had babies. I've had my babies. Our stories are our stories and we claim them. Mothership the podcast about stories that start before the beginning, presented by my mummy. I'm Francesca Siegel and my book, Mothership, is in bookshops now. If you want to hear even more of my voice, it's even an audiobook. Mothership the podcast is a vintage books production presented by me, Francesca Siegel, and produced and edited by Lena Norms. Brainstorming and direction by Vicky Spencer. Music is To Clarity by Airy. Thank you for listening, and do come over and follow me on Instagram at Francesca Siegel and Vintage Books at Vintage Books to continue the conversation. I would really love to hear from you. <laughs>